Please pray with me. May the words of my mouth and the meditations of all our hearts be acceptable in your sight, O God, for you are our strength and our redeemer. Amen. I have to confess to you, it is the strangest thing in the world to say this is the gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ after that reading from Mark. Where is the good news in it? This is the death of John the Baptist, and it seems such a dour and depressing and unjust story. You might have seen the problem we all live with, that iconic 1964 painting by Norman Rockwell. It shows a young African-American girl walking in the center of four U.S. Marshals. She's clutching to her school books as she steadily walks forward, even as several tomatoes are shown to be smashed on the wall behind her. A racial slur is emblazoned on that wall. And there is a look of both fear and one of absolute resolve on that young girl's face, the only face visible in the image. The painting portrays the courageous act of young Ruby Bridges, who was only six years old when she was escorted by four U.S. Marshals through a crowd of violent protesters as she became the first African-American student at what had been an all-white elementary school in New Orleans, Louisiana in 1960. Sadly, the protest she experienced on her first day of class would not be the last the young girl faced in the struggle to integrate her school. Only one teacher would accept her as a student that year, and it became a class of two, teacher and student. But young Ruby refused to give up. Every morning for more than a year, she was escorted to school by U.S. Marshals and faced repeated threats, including daily death threats. But Ruby refused to give up. The situation was so serious that out of fear for her safety, Ruby was only allowed to eat the food she brought from home. Even still, Ruby refused to give up. She kept coming to school every day, and she dedicated herself to her studies. Her courage inspired others, and within a few years, the William Franz Elementary School became a truly integrated school. One of the marshals who was assigned to protect Ruby Bridges later remarked, she showed a lot of courage. She never cried. She didn't whimper. She just marched along like a little soldier and we're all very, very proud of her. Ruby Bridges spoke truth to power even without words. Her very presence and her unflagging determination not only challenged the ingrained racism in our society, but it inspired millions in the civil rights movement. Most of us struggle to muster that kind of courage. We see the challenges of our world and we wonder, what if anything we can do to address them? It all feels so overwhelming. 
I think Amos must have understood those feelings when he was confronted by Amaziah, the priest at Bethel, and commanded to stop preaching gloom and doom about the nation and its future. You see, God had pushed Amos out of his relatively stable and comfortable life as a shepherd and into the streets to challenge the economic and social injustice that engulfed both Israel and Judah. He was called to speak at a time when both nations appeared peaceful and prosperous, at least on the surface. Amos' words reminded those in power that there were many who were left out of the nation's prosperity and that a day of reckoning was coming if things didn't improve. You can imagine how hard it must have been to preach such words to those like Amaziah who were living lives of relative comfort. Amaziah rails against Amos, demanding to know how Amos dares to speak such horrible words against both the king and the religious leaders of the nation. And Amos responds with both disgust and sarcasm. It's almost as if he says, whatever, I didn't even ask to be a prophet in the first place. God's the one who called me and demanded that I leave my comfortable life behind to deliver this message to you. It isn't me with whom you have to contend, it's God. Those are powerful words, but they're also dangerous words. Amaziah has accused Amos of treachery and treason before the king, and Amos may well face the end of a sword for what he has said. That's how it goes, though. We live in an era when Christianity has all too often been reduced to a feel-good religion. God wants us to be healthy, wealthy, and wise, or so the prophets of success like Joel Osteen and Joyce Meyer often lead us to believe. Their vision seems so far from the reality not only the biblical prophets faced, but the one with which most of us must contend every day of our lives. Now, don't get me wrong, I know the prosperity gospel preachers mean well. They don't want to believe that God would have any of us suffer, and I'm with them on that. They want us to believe that God's will for us is ease and comfort, and certainly Jesus says, I have come that they might have life and have it more abundantly. The problem is that there seems to be a major disconnect between what our vision of abundant life is and what it looks like to God. Dietrich Bonhoeffer, the great martyr of the confessing church who dared to oppose Hitler, once wrote in his magnum opus, The Cost of Discipleship, when Christ bids one to come and follow, Christ bids one to come and die. We want full and abundant life here and now. And yet so often God's will for our lives seems to lead us through the very fires of hell itself. That was certainly true for poor John the Baptist. I doubt very seriously that John would have chosen the life of an itinerant prophet in the backwoods of Galilee. Mark tells us that he clothed himself with camel's hair and lived on a diet of wild honey and locusts while he preached a message of challenge to those who would listen. It wasn't the kind of life that any parent, even in first century Palestine, might have imagined for their child. John's message does seem to resonate, though, 
with those who were poor and outcast from society. They saw the injustices of their society from the underside and knew that the desperation and pain endured by the most vulnerable could not be the will of God. John's words about changing one's heart and mind, giving up excess and sharing what one had with those in need, felt like rain falling on a parched desert floor, falling on their hearts. Here was someone who understood, someone who dared to speak the truth. The issue with speaking the truth is that there's always a price to be paid. Amos had to leave home and give up his livelihood. John had to endure arrest and execution. The end isn't often pleasant for those who are called by God to speak truth. That's probably why so many like Elijah flee from God's call. The problem is that it's pretty hard to outrun God. Ambrose, an early bishop in the church, learned that lesson well. He was the son of a Roman aristocrat and had a comfortable life as a governor of a province of the Roman Empire in northern Italy in the 4th century. Something about Christianity, though, drew him to the church, and while he was serving as governor, Ambrose began the process of conversion, and in those days that process took years of study, but Amos, or Ambrose quietly dedicated himself to it. When the Bishop of Milan, the town in which Ambrose lived, died in the year 374, the governor found himself drawn into the conflict between those in the church who believed that Jesus was fully human and those who believed that Jesus was both fully human and fully divine. They were fighting over who would be named the next bishop. Ambrose sought to keep the peace but found himself pressed into service. Ambrose for bishop became the cry around Milan. The governor tried to evade the pressure, but found himself forced to accept their demand that he become the next bishop. He hadn't even been baptized when he accepted that call. But within the course of a week, he was baptized, ordained a deacon, then a priest, and finally consecrated bishop of Milan. Even though his life was a whirlwind, Ambrose took that position and his responsibilities seriously. He resigned his aristocratic title and donated his fortune to those who were in need. He threw himself into his work and became a well-known and loved leader in the church. Perhaps because he knew the struggles of those in power all too well himself, Ambrose became an ardent critic of injustice within the empire. When rioters murdered the governor of Thessalonica in 390, the Emperor Theodosius ordered the imperial army to massacre 7,000 people in retaliation. Ambrose immediately excommunicated the emperor, denying him entrance to any church and publicly calling on him to repent. A standoff ensued, but Ambrose won. Can you imagine the courage it must have taken for Ambrose to publicly condemn the emperor for his crimes against humanity? Sometimes I wonder if we hear these stories and we think of them as something like fairy tales. Well, that's all well and good for those folks. They were special. I'm just me. What can I do? 
Amos was a shepherd. John the Baptist was a homeless man living in the woods. Ruby Bridges was a six-year-old child. These are not the kind of respectable folks most likely to be received by those in power, but they stood up and spoke up because they had to. Something in them, the fire of truth that is a gift of God, demanded that they do so. And because of them, the world was changed. It's scary, yes, because there is a cost to be paid for speaking up, but there's also a cost to be paid for staying silent. If we don't raise our voices in our world, who will? Jesus knew we would be afraid, of course. He knew that the struggle to reshape the world through love would be scary, but he promised he would never leave us nor abandon us. The one who walked through the valley of the shadow of death walks with us even now. We live on this side of Easter Sunday. We have seen that the worst that the powers that be in this world can do to those who oppose them. Those powers condemn Jesus to death, yet death itself could not hold him. The very movement the death of Jesus was meant to end has gone on to reach every corner of this world. The early church came to understand that we are the living, risen body of Jesus Christ in this world. We have been called to continue the work that Jesus began and to be a presence of healing and wholeness in this world, challenging injustices, speaking truth to power, and giving our lives for the sake of love. Yes, it's scary, but we can take courage from the knowledge that we are not the first to walk this way nor will we ever walk this way alone. No matter what obstacles we might face, God is with us, and God is faithful. The great Southern novelist William Faulkner once wrote, Never be afraid to raise your voice for honesty and truth and compassion against injustice and lying and greed. If people all over the world would do this, it would change the earth. Amen.